Welcome back. Rob Port here on 970 WDAY. If you're used to hearing Jay Thomas in this segment, that's because he's taking a day off today. We're coming into Sunday, right? So this is the time period where Jay just doesn't work Fridays, Kyle? Yeah, you can pretty much expect him to take every Friday off now until like October. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that used to be my job all summer was to sit in for Jay on Fridays. But now, you know, I don't know. Now, now we're doing this. Now, I've now it's probably going to be this format. This format, <laughs> It's going to yeah. be a two-hour-long Rob report and then, you know, Which a couple is fine of by hours me. of best I like, or something. Yeah, I like I like having a little extra time. And, and this time around, it made uh, made a little room for our our next guest, Governor Doug Burgum. Mr. Burgum, uh, wouldn't it be nice if he could just take every Friday off like Jay Thomas does all summer? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it would be, but uh, great to be with you. Glad you're working today, Rob. Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad to be working. So, I, I, first of all, right off the bat, you know, we talked the, the the first hour. We were talking about you know healthcare reform and and what the House of Representatives just did, and obviously there's a big the the implications for the policy are are pretty big for states like North Dakota. I mean, what what are your thoughts? What are you what are you seeing in this this policy? Well, I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time uh, burning airwaves over that because you know, I'm not sure if that's going to get through the uh, U.S. Senate. Uh, and if it does, it'll be a, you know probably in a different form than it is. I mean, it was such a close vote in the House that uh, that you know I'm not I'm not sure how far that's going. And I, I think again, when we have a discussion on health care. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, subsidies for insurance, and we don't spend enough time talking about the real underlying cost to care. And, and that's where, where you know, I'm, I'm hoping the conversation will start to move in that direction because there's a lot of things that the federal government has done in terms of subsidies and mandates and penalties that have driven up the cost to care. And the one that, you know, that is the most frustrating to me and even for, you know, it's affected North Dakota directly is all the mandates around health care IT, all of the mandates around uh, you know, saying everybody's got to have a electronic healthcare system that's been put in, and those electronic healthcare systems, well, they have some benefit. Uh, you know, they've taken all of our doctors and nurses, turned them into data entry specialists, and we've actually seen, uh, even including right here in North Dakota, we've seen uh, doctors see fewer patients today, not more patients today, because of these federally uh, mandated uh, systems. And and when and you know again the systems we're talking about is not the latest great technology we're talking about 1990s uh, you know software where it takes 33 keystrokes to you know enter in the fact that someone's going to get a flu shot and and that stuff is you know it's it's not helping lower the cost of care it's actually increasing it and there isn't anything in the legislation that's coming through uh, that's being voted on right now that does anything to address this uh, you know misallocation of capital uh, towards you know, information technology system that the Obama administration liked and towards versus, you know, basically letting free market forces come in and letting hospitals and health systems decide what, what IT they need uh, to help them actually be more productive. So that's the, uh, so, so again, I, I'm, I'm uh, that's how I feel about at least that portion of it, but we'll see if it comes out of the Senate, then we'll have to figure out what, uh, what, what, what it means for North Dakota. But I hope if, if anything comes out, I would hope to get states like ours more flexibility because, the, the whole one size fits all of a federal health care policy just doesn't match up with the the population that we have or with the rural nature of our state and and so whether you when I was talking to Secretary Tom Price uh, on the phone a couple weeks ago, part of the message uh, to him was uh, was you know wave the waivers the state like North Dakota we need to be have the ability to get rid of some of these regulations through the waiver process uh, so that we can have flexibility to do that or when a state like Massachusetts goes through 
uh, you know, Governor Charlie Baker, the, the last waiver they achieved was over a thousand pages to request a waiver for some small portion of that. Well, then when that gets done, well, then we, if we say we want the same thing that they do, then instead of saying, oh, sure, well, if we went through the whole process and waived it for Massachusetts, no, they say start over. And then North Dakota would have to go produce their thousand pages of documentation. And again, that's just the craziness of the federal system yeah. uh, when we got to let the states have some flexibility. Do you, is there, and I, I realize it's a, it's a very fluid situation. We don't know what's going to make it to the Senate. We don't know what's going to make it to the president's desk, if anything. But is there anything in that House bill that passed that you do like, that, that, you, that you'd like to see survive and, and become law? Well, at, at the, the highest level, conceptually, and whether it survives or not, is we've got to get competition back in the insurance markets, and we've got to get competition and market forces back uh, you know, into healthcare, and and uh, but I'm I don't know that this goes far enough in restoring that. I mean, I would like to see more flexibility for the states uh, in the legislation. So I mean, we ought to each state ought to be a platform of innovation on how to address healthcare, and we can learn from that. I guess again, there's still too much of. I think if we replace one non-actuarially sound system, when I say you know, try, not trying to use big words, but non-actuarially, I mean from an insurance standpoint. Where, where the ACA Obamacare basically said we're going to cover uh, all of these things which are good, kids to age 25 on their parents' plan, we're going to cover existing conditions, all that's good. Goodness, it's all stuff that people like. Of course, who wouldn't like that? Uh, we're going to allow you to you know, apply for insurance after you already have a, a problem. Uh, you know, that's the whole example which you probably have used, which is being able, like, being able to buy, buy fire insurance after your house is on fire. That's a nice, who wouldn't like that? Uh, but you know, if you're going to do that and say that's the that's the promise to the American people, well then that that's going to raise costs, and so you know who's paying for it? And there was yeah. more promises made than there was payments going in, so it was non-actuarially sound. And we just have to be careful. We mean the Republicans to not replace one with another, where again the promises exceed the payments that are going in. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand. If you want to join in, eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. Let's switch gears. I, I got an email from a listener. It says Rob, ask Burgum if the state Republicans think the high property tax problem in North Dakota is a local issue. Then why doesn't the state allow cities to use a local income tax as a revenue source to offset what the state continues to underfund? And I guess well, I guess what they, he's saying is, yeah, why 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 not a local income tax? Well, let me let me uh, let me address the premise as opposed to the, if the solution was the uh, uh, if the particular solution would be a local income tax. Uh, let me just talk with the presumption. Uh, yeah, I, I do believe that property taxes are a local issue because property taxes were designed to fund uh, fund local activities, not state activities, and that's what property taxes you know set up to do. The state got into the business of subsidizing local spending by saying, "Hey, we'll we'll take on our portion. We'll you know instead of having local property taxes pay for a hundred percent of you know streets and roads and and local school districts, we'll start start doing that. And we've done that through formulas like K through twelve. And so then we uh, you know do that this time where we're you know we're going to spend uh, billions of dollars on uh, uh, two point three to be exact on on K twelve." And that uh, those dollars coming from the state represent now more than 75 percent of the burden of of K through 12 education. You know, up from less than 10, you know less than 10 years ago, that was under 50. So the state has continued during this boom to say we'll pay more and more of that local expense. And then and then also this session with the 
the takeover of the financial responsibility of paying for county social services uh, with $161 million of response, financial responsibility the state's taking on. And that's also a good thing because right now counties were having to deliver and pay for social services that were federal and state mandates, but they were being delivered at the county level through 20 mills of of local property tax. So the state said, look, we're going to take, we'll take on that financial responsibility, but we'll also take away the ability of a, a county to to do that 20 mills of financing. So that should be permanent relief on the local property, property taxpayer on the, on the mills for social services. You add those two things together, uh, and then you minus out the, the money for the, quote, 12% property buy-down. The state is actually in, in the next biennium, 17 to 19, the state is paying $50 million more of the local share than we did last time, even during a time when we cut the general fund by $1.7 billion. So I, the whole brouhaha of people kind of saying, hey, the state's not doing their share, I, I, I just say, look at the math. The state's doing $50 million more than we did before. And, and, that's, uh, and, if, and if beyond that, if someone's concerned about property taxes, then talk to your school board, talk to your city commissioners, talk to your city council, because it's the decisions that they're making about the footprint of the city, where the high schools or elementary schools are located. It's their decisions which are driving up the cost of running a city, not the state. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, Mr. Governor, we're going to take a break. You're okay to hold through? Absolutely. All right, we're going to take a break, and then more comments, more questions for the governor right after this. This is the Rob Report on 970 WDAY. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, which normally you would have the Jay Thomas show in this hour, but Jay's uh, taking the day off, so we're having an extended version of the Rob Report, which uh, we're having a good time with that. My guest right now, Governor Doug Burgum. And uh, if you want to join in, comments or questions, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, Mr. Governor, I, you gave an interview to the editorial boards, Grand Forks Herald, uh, Fargo Forum, and and you, you talked about higher education. You were asked about higher education, and you talked about it. And I, I got to tell you, your, your comments, to me, to my ears, uh, I guess I'm going to say it's like a breath of fresh air. Maybe that's weird to say that that, that was affecting my ears. But I, I, I liked what you had to say. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Um, and I'm, I'm hearing you say a lot of things about, you know, the, the delivery system and the universities aren't a, a jobs program for, you know, the staff. They're there to, to, to serve the students and, and, and by serving the students, serve the state. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? I mean, what 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 is what is your attitude? What is your philosophy about higher education? And as we sort of move in uh, more to your term, and, and you have campaigned on reinventing government, is higher education a part of that? Well, it certainly is, and I, I think uh, we should just you know step back and take a look at uh, education general and the role the state plays, and why it's important for uh, you know to have a point of view on this because uh, between higher ed and K through twelve. 50% of the general fund spending uh, went to those two buckets. And so this is a fully half of our of our budget, and it's also critical to the future of our state. I mean, it's critical in terms of are we going to reach our full potential, uh, you know, individually and as communities and as a state? Are we going to participate in the 21st century economy? And, you know, education is key to that. So this isn't about whether I support education. 
It's just, you know, can, let's just step back and say, what are the forces that are pushing on education and how are they different on K-12 through versus they are in higher ed? Because some of the forces are different uh, and some of them are the same. But in K-12, through where we have a responsibility to deliver public education to, to everyone, that's, you know, that's kind of a, a non-optional responsibility that we've taken on as a country and a society and as underpinning the country is public education. But at the higher ed, you know, higher ed is, is a, uh, you know, if a kid's growing up in a community, he doesn't, he doesn't, it, many times in North Dakota, rural community, there's sort of one school he can go to. He doesn't have a choice. He's going to that one school. Higher ed is a choice for everybody. You can decide to go in-state, out-of-state, uh, and increasingly you can decide, hey, if I don't want to get a four-year computer science degree uh, to get a good job, I can go to a coding school, learn how to do software programming at a coding school for, go there for 20 weeks, and I can get the same, I can get a $75,000 job doing that. So the, the economics of higher ed are changing, and that has nothing to do with, with whether our state is flush with money or out of money. The, both the, 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 the business models are changing, the competition is changing, and the, uh, and the way knowledge gets transferred, because now knowledge can be transferred anywhere, anytime, any place, uh, and, and that creates competition for, for, for higher ed. So if, if we're going to spend money on higher ed, we want, we want it to be, we want it to, uh, in other words, Sometimes education and competition don't go together, but in our with higher ed in particular, we've got to be competitive uh, if we want if we want people to write checks, tuition checks, because students are consumers. They're students, but they decide to either borrow money or work and pay for their money. They're making a purchase and they're making a business decision. We subsidize that because the tuition only covers about a third of the cost of the way to, to doing it. But but even when they're when the students only paying for a third of the cost. You know, they still, the value proposition is if I borrow money and go get this education, sort of, is, is that going to be worth it? So it, we, there is competition. We have to recognize it. We've got to respond to those forces, and then we have to innovate uh, to deliver to allow us to be successful uh, going forward. 701 I'm going to quote from the, the article that came out of your meetings with the editorial boards. It says, Bergham said defending any specific physical location for a state institution that could be largely replaced with a digital platform amounts to a sort of state-subsidized jobs program. North Dakotans cling too tightly to the idea of location. Now, this has been a hot-button topic in North Dakota for years, this idea that we have some institutions, many of them mandated in the state constitution as to their location, that we may not necessarily need i have been an advocate for years of saying we have we have 11 institutions of public education in a state that has the population that's a medium-sized city in another state i look at the university system and i think it's overbuilt i feel like we could get rid of some of these institutions consolidate and do a better job with a smaller number of institutions and maybe fulfill better some of those goals that you're talking about but in the article it said you're not necessarily in favor of that but yet. So I, I, I don't know. I, I'm seeing a dissonance in your argument where on one hand you're, you're saying things that I, I totally agree with, that we need to get more efficient in the, in the delivery of higher education and we need to be more competitive in a, a changing future where people are, are accessing knowledge in much different ways than they did in the past, while also saying that, that you're not necessarily against maintaining 11 institutions that were in us that's been in our state constitution for over a century. Uh, do we not need? To, I feel like we need to have a debate about closing some of these institutions down. Where, where are you at on this? Maybe, maybe, maybe explore that a little bit for us. Well, I think you know you brought up a key point, which is at least in that uh, particular category of higher ed, 
specific locations are listed in the Constitution, and we want to change the Constitution in North Dakota. That involves not just the legislature, that involves a, you know, a mandate of all the people in the state. Right. And so that's, you know, gets to be sort of a, uh, either a referendum, I know that's been tried in the past, whatever, but that's a, a bigger, a bigger, you know, maybe harder thing. But whether or not we have a change in the Constitution, that's not going to change the forces that are pushing on it. Just because it's written in the Constitution doesn't insulate uh, our entire system uh, from the idea that location matters less in that business than what it did before. I mean, in 1889, uh, you know, picking here's the here's the points where knowledge transfer is going to occur, and let's spread those out geographically made sense. But we have to we have to separate the idea of geography from knowledge transfer in today's economy. When I made the comment to the forum, when I was talking about the idea that that uh, we're uh, we hang on to this idea of location, the broader point is it's not just in uh, it's not just in uh, you know higher ed or K through 12. It's in everything. I mean, uh, you know, we, we'll we'll spend close to a billion dollars on a DOT budget between uh, state and federal match monies, and we got a leadership team that's been doing a fabulous job. Uh, they're, you know, leading a thousand-person organization and managing billions of dollars of construction projects around the state. And you know what the number one thing that they spent most of their time on the legislature was? It was a discussion on whether we're going to close down six uh, places where we keep snow plows across the state with zero jobs eliminated. I mean, no, no jobs would be eliminated. It's just that we're going to, going to consolidate, uh, you know, from over 50 locations down to 48 or something where we keep snow plows. And... And so, but that brought, you know, people to the Capitol, brought a lot of stuff. So we really hang on to the idea of location uh, on some of these things. When we should be focused in that case like on snow removal, we should be committed to a level of service. How fast can we plow your roads? Can we get to the nursing homes? Can we do all that? If we can achieve that better and more efficiently uh, with fewer locations or different locations, then, you know, then we should be trying to optimize. But uh, the... Locations for snowplows is not written in the Constitution, but it still became a big battle in the legislature. And you could go uh, job service locations, places where we, ha- you know, have uh, uh, where we get your driver's license. I mean, we the idea a, of location. We had a big fight over, over the, the, the the Grafton Transition Center was also a big fight in the yep. legislature in the state Senate. Yes, no. It, so location comes up over and over again, and and part of it then we have to, you know, people want. Uh, Everybody wants wants lower taxes and more efficient government as long as it doesn't mean a cut in state sponsored jobs in their community. So that's the that's the political dilemma which has existed before I got here. But I think it, it's going to get amplified in the years ahead, regardless of who's sitting in this seat, because technology is 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 an, is an underlying technology and economics are forces that can't be stopped by pieces of paper. And and it, those so those debates are only going to get louder over time. So I'm just trying to raise I'm trying to raise them now so we can start having a dialogue about how, what kind of solutions can we come up that allow us to create private sector jobs in these communities because that's the discussion we ought to be having is how can we create private sector jobs across the state. Uh, in our cities, not how do we defend state jobs in these cities. Well, uh, Mr. Governor, I, I think it's a great discussion to have, and keep up the good work. Certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. That's uh, Governor Doug Burgum. More to come straight ahead, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away.